Billy Piper, Patrick Lacey, S.E. Howard, Waylon Jordan, and Jeremy Herbert. Five acclaimed authors of horror and dark fiction. Their twisted tales appeared in the acclaimed horror anthology Worst Laid Plans from Grindhouse Press. Now, their tales of vacation terror are coming to the big screen in a feature film adaptation from Genre Blast Films. Five acclaimed genre filmmakers will bring these stories to life. Samantha Koyesnik, John Hale, Vanessa Yonta Wright, Michael Escobedo, and Jeremy Herbert. Worst Laid Plans. Now crowdfunding on Indiegogo. This is one vacation you'll be dying to take. <laughs> Welcome to Dead Headspace, now a part of the Silver Shamrock Horrorcast, a podcast network that includes killing time with Silver Shamrock and Unburying the Dead, where we exhume classic horror paperbacks for the new generation. Your hosts, me, Brennan, and Ken McKinley, we will have a new episode today. It is Monday, and uh, we have Todd's episode, or if you get done with this, you can check out ours, where we uh, pretty much talk about a non-spoiler that leads into a spoiler conversation on robert block psycho new episodes out every uh first of every month um you can find us for both shows on apple Podcasts, spotify stitcher ghana and all other major platforms which now includes youtube that's right you can now watch us on youtube by searching dead headspace podcast i'm your host patrick r mcdonough joined always by my co-host brennan lafaro say hi brennan Hello, everybody. Today, we're joined by a returning guest, author of Devil's Creek and a life transparent, Todd Keeslin. Hello, Todd. Hey, guys. And uh, for those that are interested in checking out his first appearance, that was episode nine. That was one of the first episodes that we had um, for guests. And that was back in June 15th, 2020. Another episode he's in is the uh, first roundtable discussion we ever had called Faith and Horror, where uh, that was recorded December 14th, 2020. So we got to pepper him in at least twice every year. Brennan, take us away. <laughs> you know, I think if we want to get specific, it was, uh, it, you're right, it was one of the first episodes, but I think it was actually the ninth episode, uh, was episode nine. Um, so, <laughs> Todd, first off, Bad huge, joke. huge, huge. I, hey, man, you, you kind of kicked us off with the bad jokes. I think that was actually a step in the right direction. It was. Uh, huge congratulations on becoming a finalist for the, the Stoker nominee for Devil's Creek. Uh, Thank Superior you. achievement in a novel. So, you know, as opposed to what got you into horror, let's talk. What does it mean to have Devil's Creek in that category, make it to the finals? Uh, wow. Um 
that was pretty much my reaction when I found out. It's my reaction now. Uh, it's one of those things that you kind of daydream about, but you know you never expect to happen. Um, for me, it means uh, it. Well, it's an honor, first of all, that my peers in the field collectively agreed that I should be nominated for this. Uh, the, um, just the, the support and everything, it means a lot to me. Like I, I got a little bit emotional when I found out because to me that was signaling that, you know, I was, that everybody recognized, you know, that I had, you know, done something, you know, worthwhile in the horror field. Um, and that, you know, that, that meant the world to me and, uh, it still does. And just to be listed among, you know, Amakatsu and, you know, Sylvia Moreno Garcia, Josh Mallerman, Stephen Graham Jones, holy shit. Um, you know, you look at the list and then you see me and it's like one of these things is not like the others, you know, it's like all the all the books on there except for mine have been published by uh you know a large publisher and then you have silver shamrock represented there and it, it's you know i feel like i'm standing among giants and for you know the the association members to decide that you know i deserve to be standing among them that means a hell of a lot to me uh, I feel like the last God pretty much like the last 20 years of my life have been validated. Uh, so yeah, that's wow. That's all I have to say. Wow. <laughs> and you know, you, you said it yourself, there's not a dud in the bunch and, uh, devil's Creek is in, in my humble opinion. And I'll speak for Patrick too. Uh, absolutely deserving to stand up uh, along the, the alongside the best of the best of the last year. You know, Thank we you. said it. We had you on in uh, June, and 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 we said it then, and we stand by that eight months later. Uh, so, like I said, you know, huge congratulations and well freaking deserved. Thank you. When um when I was running the review platform, Deadhead Reviews, man, like I talked with Ken. He talked to me and Brennan and a few others about Devil's Creek, and uh, that's why I said, hey, Devil's Creek Week should be a thing. It, it just felt special, and it is. Yeah, uh, thank you. Absolutely. Um, and I said this to you privately, but I think it's important for people that might be struggling with this um, – decision that you struggled with well i i'm putting words in your mouth i don't know if you struggled with this maybe you did but uh you had an opportunity to present this to traditional publishers as well as uh silver shamrock which shout out to silver shamrock yeah we're one of the first shows we me and brennan are both of their shows two of the three shows for their network but even before we were friends with ken i mean there we knew there was something special about this publisher uh, keep an eye out for him, and if you don't know who they are, check them out. They got phenomenal books. Um, but back to Devil's Creek, 
uh, it, it's you bled on the page. You talked about a town that had a lot of emotions um, from your past. And I, I don't know where I'm going with this. I lost my train of thought. Brennan, why don't you take over? It's okay. <laughs> so I, I, I kind of had a tangential question there. Uh, when when you had your story come out in Midnight of the Pentagram this year, uh, it kind of took place in that Devil's Creek universe, the gods of our fathers. Uh, yeah. Correct me if I'm wrong. Um, at least I thought I remembered you saying that. It does. Um, now, do you have any further plans to kind of write around that, or is it just kind of a want versus a need thing? <sighs> want versus a need thing in what way? So, I guess, uh, do you, well, do you have plans to write there, or just maybe it'll happen one day if you need to work some stuff out? <laughs> oh, okay. So, no, the... It's funny because I wrote the gods of our fathers in the middle of writing Devil's Creek. Uh, and it was only until after Devil's Creek was done that, and, and I was looking at the story to submit to Silver Shamrock for that anthology that I realized, hey, this actually, you know, it makes sense that it takes place in the same world. Um, and I absolutely have intentions of returning to that sandbox. Um, the next the next book I write will be in that sandbox. Uh, it'll be set a few years after the events of Devil's Creek, because uh, you know it's going to take me a few years to write. But it's def it's not going to be the sort of novel you'd expect. But it's going to take place, you know, in it's going to have a a place in the. Uh, Far eastern part of Kentucky in the mountains, uh, among other places. So I noticed you kind of tiptoed around the word sequel there. Would you avoid that completely or? <laughs> I would, uh, because it, I feel like this, that story of Devil's Creek is kind of self-contained. Um, and you know, the, the characters who were there at the end, you know, they're still in, in, in my head, they're still, you know, living and breathing and surviving. You know, they survived. They're off, you know, by this point, they're off kind of trying to get their lives back on track. And so you probably won't see or hear from most of them, but they're there. Uh, now, this will be entirely new cast of characters uh but and for the you know probably about half of the story you probably won't even see the the connections um but they're there and you'll see them you know if the book comes together the way i think it will in in my head uh yeah i i think you guys will like it um i hope so uh so, no, I, I, I'm not going to call it a sequel. I think I'd like to think it more of like a, an, a, an adjacent story. Um, no, I, I kicked around the idea of doing a proper sequel, and I'm not saying that's off the table, but right now I'm not quite ready to tackle that. So, 
I remember my question. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> All right. So uh, I, I hate to make you forget it again, man, but I just want to throw in I'm a I'm a diehard sucker for that shared universe stuff where I don't even know if shared universe is the right term, but where it, you know, it might reference the events, even if they're not a direct impact right from the get go or an obvious direct impact. One of the characters might pop in in the background, but, you know, it, it stands on its own. Um, at least that's kind of what I'm taking away from what you said. Yeah. Uh, I mean, even um, my novella that came out last year, Scanlines, that takes place in Stafford, just in the 90s. Completely different time. Uh, the Yellow Kings get a reference. And, you know, that's that's about it. Uh, kind of explores some of the areas outside of Stafford. Uh, half of it takes place in a neighboring town. Um, but yeah, there's no mention of Devil's Creek in it. There's, you know, it's just a it's just a place. It's just a, a small town where bad shit happens. Do you miss uh, not Corbin? Do you miss uh, <laughs> Do you miss Kentucky living in there? No. <laughs> okay i i write uh, often about two states mainly and that's southeast massachusetts where i grew up um and new jersey south jersey um but I, I miss living there i don't miss the winters and i remember every fucking winter why i chose to move away uh so my question was or comment. I'm not sure which direction it's going in yet. Still in the first draft stage. But your story, you had the opportunity presented to traditional publishers. Uh, they want to cut so many words um, for the reason I can't remember. But you went with Ken because he kept the story true to itself. And I, I know that there's going to be at least a few writers that eventually will face that challenge. And it's got to be a hard one because it's a good story, but you can't, I can't see anything where you cut out large chunks and it still makes sense. Um, or yeah, as powerful. I, I, I felt like, you know, I, and I, I cut a huge chunk out of the manuscript. I mean, I cut 30,000 words out of that thing. Whoa. And, uh, I I felt like if I had cut any more, it would fundamentally change the story. Like, I'm all for, you know, I'm not against cutting at all. Uh, cutting in, in manuscript, that is. Um, I'm not, you know, against that at all. I think that, you know, your second and third and however many subsequent drafts, I mean, they're going to need to be refined. You can tighten a lot, you know, in your language, make it more succinct. Uh, but I feel like when it starts to affect the story you wanted to tell, then I think it's, you know, it's okay to draw a line and say no. And that was the biggest, uh, you know, that was probably the biggest hurdle. And, and, uh, you know, my agent and I had several conversations, uh, you know, her, basically, you know, asserting that, look, you were going to have more publishers be interested in this if you cut this down to at least 100,000 words. And I flat out refused. I said, there is absolutely no way that I can tell the same story 
in, you know, by cutting out another 40 K. <clears throat> so, uh, I actually need to give a shout out to James Newman, uh, because he's the one who put the bug in Ken's ear to contact me about it. And, you know, Ken, I knew from talking to him, like he was one of the publishers that made an offer on it. And I knew from talking to him and what he was about and what he was planning to do with Silver Shamrock, I knew he was the way to go because he understood and respected the, you know, the whole 80s horror thing that I was drawing from. You know, he understood and respected the magic of a small town novel Mm. and that if you really want to make the town a character, it's there's no way that book's going to be short. And it, you know, it, uh, I was very fortunate that he, um, that we got in touch and I'm glad it worked out. Uh, he's done incredibly, you know, good by my book and I'm grateful for that. That's awesome. Yeah. Um, that guy, Brennan and I were just talking about this today. Um, Ken isn't ever going to sit still, and that's what makes him good. That's just like you throw any successful person, any entrepreneur, you know, the John D. Rockefellers, whoever. I'm not calling him John D. Rockefeller, but maybe. I don't know. Who cares? <laughs> but um, that's what they all have in common, that strive, that never feeling like, all right, you know, this is a good place. He's continually going uh, strong and hard. Um, Brennan, you want to take us to the next topic? I, I want to comment on that real quick. I was listening to um, an episode of This Is Horror. They had uh, Gemma Amore on recently, and there was a there's this really great part of the conversation about uh, independent publishing versus or or small press publishing versus uh, big five, and how that independent factor allows you to really do what we all know is the right thing and and tell the story in the format it fits in whether that's a 30,000 word novella or a, a 450 page book um it where whereas you have you know not that I would shy away from being traditionally published and uh by a place on in in the middle of New York City uh I'm completely open to that but uh to to trim it down because people buy you know 250 300 page books when uh that's when you're cutting out crucial elements of the story or to beef it up so that it, so that it hits that and it's loaded with extraneous fat it's just it's a disservice and you know the wonderful novellas that that you read every year uh, don't exist necessarily without that uh, small press publishing um, aspect, uh, and the same thing with a book like Devil's Creek that needs that extra extra little bit to it. I apologize that my uh, cat decided to show his ass on camera. We love having special guests. Yes. <laughs> All right, so um, I want to take us to A Life Transparent. So let's start with uh, the history of the book, uh, succinct (laughs) if you want it to be. 
or you know, we'll check back in in forty minutes with you. And okay. does this top like candles? Because that word is probably scattered through. Hey, there's your cat again. Yep. <laughs> Sorry, get down. Uh, the history of a life transparent. I will try to keep this short. So, uh, 2006, I am one year out of college. So, I'm 23 years old. And I write a story uh, about a guy who's disappearing. I was working at a law firm at the time. I hated it. It was awful. It paid better than minimum wage, but in in exchange for that, they got to treat you like a punching bag. Uh, one day I went to work, and no one said a word to me. A whole fucking day. So I was feeling you know, pretty low. I was dealing with what I didn't understand at the time uh, was depression. And I just had this thought, like, I'm living a life transparent. I had no idea what that meant. It just popped into my head. And I still have the notebook where I wrote it down. Uh, I wrote down the quote. I wrote down like a, you know, man wakes up and finds he's disappearing. Should be 2,000 words, maybe less. So I started writing it. I started writing it, and it kept growing and growing and growing. Uh, and within, I think it was a month and a half, two months, I had, you know, about a sixty thousand word book. Not long, and uh, I decided I was going to give it a shot and self-publish it. So, about a year later, I uh, took the next step of I saved up my money. Because money was not easy to come by back then. Still isn't. But uh, for a you know recent college grad, it was definitely not easy to hang on to. Um, I you know saved up my money, got an ISBN for it, released it through Lulu, I think it was. And, you know, they're, they're, it, it's out there. A few years later, uh, I got fed up with Lulu. Um, cause it was so ridiculously expensive to get copies of the book. Uh, I, you know, pulled it from Lulu, ran a Kickstarter, started a press and published it through there through lightning source, which is now, you know, Ingram spark. And from there, uh, two years later, published the sequel and then. I stopped. Uh, I had trouble really wrapping my head around a th- the third novel. It wasn't supposed to be a, a series. Uh, it, the first book was supposed to be once and done. And then I had an idea for a second one. And the second one ends on a cliffhanger. So I've got a lot of people out there who have been waiting for this third novel for eight years now. Oh, come on, Mark, George R. R. Martin. <laughs> well, the difference <laughs> is I actually finished mine. <laughs> so, yeah, Life Transparent has had a crazy history. It's been edited and re-edited because, you know, 
starting out, I had no idea what the hell I was doing. I still don't know what the hell I'm doing. Uh, but it was part of this big, you know, grand experiment to see, you know, okay, can I do this independently? And I actually, once the book was re-released in 2010, I was able to start building a following from that. Um, that's the, the reader's digest version. I could go into more detail, but you're right. We'd be here for another hour. So, uh, because I don't want to forget if I have to mention this twice, we'll do that, but I'd rather mention it twice than none at all. Uh, a Life Transparent is out tomorrow as you listen to this on March 1st. It's out March 2nd through Bloodshot Books. How did you uh, approach Bloodshot to reissue it, re-edit it, revise it, all that good stuff? Well, uh, so this was late 2018. I uh, was feeling pretty good about myself because I'd, you know, I'd finally finished devil's creek uh had had you know a few you know story sales and i started thinking about you know what's next and i started thinking about the monochrome i started thinking about you know where i left off with my plans for the third book and i sort of i realized that you know the biggest issue I had with the third book is that it was the stories weren't written to be a series. So things I was trying to work a third book around what had exi- what existed. Uh, and I couldn't figure out a way to make it work. So looking back on all that, I realized, okay, well, it's been probably been long enough. If I re-released the books, I could justify revising them again and expanding them and by doing so put the pieces in place to make this third book work and when i started thinking about it that way uh it you know the light the proverbial light bulb went off so i thought of uh bloodshot uh i've known pete kale for a while uh you know we're we're friends and I knew that if I approached him about it and I said, hey, do you mind if I do the design and everything? Like, I just need you there for the publishing support, the infrastructure to get the book out and, you know, you know handle the proofing and the editing and everything. So he was he was down for that. And I had one last caveat, like, uh, don't announce it yet. Let's say that we're working together on a secret project. We're going to give it a code name because one of the reasons I stopped working on that third book is because I felt immense pressure from everybody who had read the first and second ones. When's that third book coming? You know, and I, I still had people asking me you know when are we going to get that third book and i finally just said never (laughs) i'm not finishing it sorry uh so i wanted i kept it a secret for a year uh while 
I worked on revising the first two. And then I started working in earnest on the manuscript for the third book. Uh, I think it was around August 2019. And then I was about, by the time I got about 30,000 words into it, or maybe it was 20, 25, I don't remember. Uh, that's when I decided to, you know, make the announcement that, hey, this secret project that I've been working on, this, I think we called it Project Willoughby, uh, after the um, Twilight Zone episode with the guy on the train, you know, Willoughby, next stop, Willoughby. It was random. Uh, so we went to Nightworms. They did the big reveal. And so last year, I finished the third book. And, uh, you know, all through that, you know, for a contract that was signed in like January 2019, you know, it's been a long time coming, but, you know, we all have other things going on. Um, so, and then the pandemic happened. <laughs> so, uh, it kind of slowed things down a little bit, but you know, that's kind of how the bloodshot you know, thing happened. Like I approached Pete with this concept. I had no idea if he'd go for it because I was basically asking for full creative control, uh, covers interior, you name it. And, uh, it'll be the last time I probably do anything like that just because it, it was, you know, a lot of time, but I figured, you know, I started it with me doing everything. I'll finish it with me doing everything. Pat, you want to jump in? I didn't know if he had more. No, I was taking a drink. I'm, I'm good. Well, I'm going to reel us back to the very beginning when you said no one would say hi to you. Uh, so let's emphasize on how important it is to say fucking hi to someone. I don't, <laughs> I don't know about you guys, but at my workplace, I work at a shit plant. I don't care where I work. I wor- I've worked at many places. I say hi to almost everybody. You know, I just like to, you know, be friendly. Um, the fact that no one said even hi to you—that's really sad. Yeah, uh, I worked in um, their copy room. Basically, like they would, the attorneys would send down brief or you know orders to have all of their uh, legal documents. They needed like twelve copies for a deposition or something like that. So basically, that's what I did every day, and uh, it was under the um, HR department. So, if you gentlemen have read the book, you kind of know how I feel about HR. <laughs> Got an inkling. <laughs> yeah, just a tiny bit. So um, I'm curious. You correct me if I'm wrong, but this is your Matrix. I've heard you say that this is the the film trilogy, the Matrix. This is uh, it, it's uh, well, a friend described it as you know, as if as if Stephen King wrote the Matrix. Mm. Um, and I think that's a that's a good way to kind of just elevator pitch it, you know. So I don't have to go into like all the metaphysical shit that's in it. (laughs) Okay. So you didn't kind of think, I know why you wrote it. You just said that, but at any point while you were writing it, the first or second, did you think about the matrix? No. Okay. Uh, it, 
I was definitely influenced by movies. I think somebody on Twitter asked me about this last week. Uh, so I remember watching around the time that I started working on the book initially, uh, the game, uh, Michael Douglas. Uh, I watched that. I uh, watched um, Constantine, Keanu Reeves. Mm. Uh, that Tell was a big. That was an influence with the <laughs> overlapping of reality. Uh, I love that movie, Constantine. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, I liked it too. Uh, and um, also, Lost Highway, hmm. David Lynch film. Oh yeah, let's talk about that real quick. The whole times, I think I, I'm pretty sure because of how well I know you, I, I can't. Once you know someone so well, you just you can't compartmentalize certain things. So I didn't do this with Devil's Creek, but when the whole time I read this, not even because you reference Nine Inch Nails at some point, I believe you did, but I I just had the sound like different soundtracks in my head by Trent. By Trent Reznor. Yeah, the Nine Inch Nails has been a driving force behind these books. Uh, That's no secret. Um, The album with teeth, especially for uh, a life transparent, the song Every Day is Exactly the Same could be the theme song of a life transparent. But more so, some of the songs like on that album even though it's not a concept record, it, it, all those songs deal with finding your place and figuring out who you are. And it just seemed, you know, serendipitous. Uh, the line begins to blur that song right where it belongs. Um, all the love in the world. I mean, it's, a lot of those songs just made sense. So, yeah, I mean, even even with the second book and the third book that's coming, you're going to see references to songs, uh, no lyrics, just titles. Uh, you're going to see a lot more of that as, it's, as the books go along. I mean, he, Trent Reznor, to me, he's kind of like the Mozart. Or pick your classic uh, composer, whoever you feel is the best. It's like, for me, I got two guy, two artists on that that special place in music history. It's him and uh, Maynard from Tool, Pussyfire. Yeah. And they, but Trent, he to me, he's Trent's the very best. Because look at his body of work. Look at all the movies he's done. He worked on Quake, which is one of the funnest yeah. games for the N64 and he started out by doing it all himself Yeah, he, 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 that guy's so goddamn talented Brandon why don't you take us away before I get off track no no <laughs> I, lo- I love this track actually but uh, uh alright so I, I want to ask you to talk about uh, the way that you named characters in the story uh, okay so Donovan Candle came about because well the the last name candle i picked specifically because of the whole concept of flickering out uh, it was you know if i had to go back knowing what i know now about writing and naming i'd totally do it differently but at the same time i felt like that name could potentially become iconic and because it's so different uh i chose donovan out of a hat 
it, it was I, <laughs> little, I got a list a little of, hat. Uh, <laughs> I I got a list of uh, just really mundane names that it, at the time I thought were mundane names, I, you know, and so I picked Donovan, paired it with Candle. In my mind, when I was writing it, I pictured Donovan and his wife as this somewhat stereotypical American, you know, you know nuclear family with the uh, you know the white picket fence and everything, working on their two point five children. Um, so it made sense to name her Donna. Um, so Donovan and Donna, it's meant to be quirky. And some of the other names, Albert Sparrow, I chose Sparrow, because I'm a huge fan of the dark half. Sparrows are psychopomps in that book, and they ferry the living to the land of the dead, so they're liminal creatures. I chose Albert because of Albert Hoffman, who synthesized LSD. Alistair Dullington, well, there's a whole backstory on him you won't find until the third novel. Uh, I chose Alistair specifically because of Alistair Crowley. I just spelled it differently. Uh, the Dullingtons, I'm not going to tell you. Uh, I mean, there. Do you have any other names in specific, You know, in particular. No, I was or? mostly thinking those four characters. Okay. All Why, right. Why'd you make a, a couple have such similar names? Donna and Donovan. Uh, I mean, it was. I mean, with Don, Donna and Donovan, it was intentional. I mean, I wanted it to be this quirky couple. You know, they, I, I picture them as the sort who would dress alike, you know, have the, <laughs> have the shirts that say, you know, I'm with her, I'm with him, you know, stupid, you know, things like that. Mm. Like I wanted to project this image of mundane normalcy. Like they, there's nothing really interesting about them. And this life that they're living and this thing happens that completely turns their world upside down. And you'll see as the stories progress that, you know, how they change in character also has more to do with, you know, I was getting older as I was writing books. Um, so does that satisfy your curiosity? <laughs> yeah, yeah, absolutely. And uh, earlier today, I'm still waiting for Brandon to touch upon this. Uh, he said he was going to make some accusations, so I'm curious. Yeah, how- let's. I, I'm curious to hear these accusations. <laughs> that was a completely baseless comment. I've got. Okay. I had like seven hours to come up with shit, and I got nothing. Uh, all I've done tonight so far is make confessions. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I mean, and without any accusations, which. Right. <laughs> yeah, that's a witch trial right there, sir. Um, so uh, Patrick, I want to jump in real quick uh, with a follow up on the name thing. Yep. Now, Todd, you you said 
you know, knowing what I know now about naming characters, it, would you like I, what I what I liked about that? What struck me about the way you named them is they really kind of stood out as almost archetypes. Um, would you change? Would you do that differently? I would probably change Sparrow's name. Uh, but you're absolutely right on the archetypes. Thank you for saying that. Very well. Uh, uh, that was that was the intent around these characters. I wanted them to have identities, but at the same time, I wanted them to be. I don't. This is the best word I can think of it on you know on the spot, but I wanted them to be somewhat hollow as well, so that the reader could put themselves in their shoes. Uh, you know, I wanted the reader to really see him or herself in their shoes. Uh, I don't know if I'm successful in that or not. Uh, that's where I was thinking, you know. 10 plus years ago uh i was absolutely thinking about you know archetype every man you know archetype villain or is he and as far as the main character goes i mean it's i think that's a brilliant way to do it to craft it in a way that anybody can kind of put themselves in those shoes because i mean who doesn't feel underappreciated at work to some degree. Uh, maybe it's never so bad that you go an entire eight hour workday where nobody, you know, says a word to you and you have to wonder if you exist anymore. God, I hope that, I, you know, it, this sounds horrible, but I hope you're alone in that experience because that's awful. But everybody, yeah. you know, everybody knows what it's like to feel underappreciated at work. Yeah. Underappreciated. Um, just the feeling that you don't belong there, mm-hmm. that you were you were supposed to do something else and you went astray somewhere. And I feel like that right now, another reason I wanted to, you know, kind of reintroduce the story to people is because I, our generation, especially, I feel like that's so common like we like i myself and you know i'm not i'll try not to get on a a tangent about being a millennial but you know i don't know about you guys but i was promised that if i went to college you know i could be anything i wanted to be and that that would be okay so i went to college took on some massive debt and became an English major who doesn't want to be a teacher. (laughs) (laughs) So, you know, I, I I think about that a lot. I think about all the other folks and I'm fortunate enough that I have been able to, you know, pay off the loans. Uh, but I think of all the folks who are in, you know, are in that spot who, you know, can't do what they want to do because they're trying to pay off, you know, this thing that a lot of them were probably forced into doing. Uh, so. Yeah. yeah uh, uh, 
Yeah, you know, I'm just going to chime in with my experience. I took a semester at uh, college right after high school. Uh, high school, I went to a uh, private Catholic school for four years. Before that, it was all public education. I didn't want to see the people that I went to school with. Not uh, totally bad experiences there. Never really got bullied, teased a lot, but never bullied, I would say. Maybe. I don't know. I, I view it as teasing. But um, going to the college, the community college, I was right down the road from my private uh, Catholic high school, which was in a city called Brockton, which is it's not a nice place. It's just, it's a lot of bad things happen there. Um, my parents, my best friend at the time, his parents, my be- best friend at the time, and pretty much everyone in my life, when I said, I don't really want to go to school, I just want to be a filmmaker, um, because that was my dream up until, I don't know, like eight, nine years ago, where I'm like, fuck that, that's too many people to deal with, I just want to write books. <laughs> <laughs> so, I went... Uh, when class was canceled at this one particular class, me and this kid that became friends just smoked at his house. That was my experience. Didn't like it. I'm glad I left uh, after one semester because communications, what the fuck would I use that for nowadays? I, I didn't know what to go to school for. <laughs> yeah. And you, there's so many instances where you can be successful and not go there. I mean, we need all sorts of different types of people. I mean, not to knock them, but even, you know, fast food workers or whatever. But the robots don't run that shit yet. <laughs> yeah. You know, and millennial is such a wide ranging uh, age range, but yeah. it, it does feel like we are very much because Todd, Todd, I think you're uh, a couple of years older than I am, but only a couple. Uh, but it does feel like we are that generation that you just you felt like it was coming at you from all angles that you had to go to college that there wasn't really another path um and you come out of there uh and you know i'm i'm very thankful uh that i use my degree for my day job but the fact that that's rare is pretty ridiculous uh and you know, it it almost sounds entitled to say that if you get a college education, you should be able to use it for a job. But, you know, you pay a couple hundred thousand dollars for that. I, I don't know that that's entitlement. You should be able to, you know, that yeah. should be your ticket in. Yeah, I wholeheartedly agree. And, you know, you're pushing loan documents in front of an 18 year old. Yeah, Your brain hasn't even fully developed. Like you, you don't know what the hell you're signing. Uh, so it, it, it's, I view it as a as a predatory thing, in hindsight, and you know, definitely cautioned my my stepson about that, and you know, not we haven't pushed him to go to college. You know, I want him to make an informed decision and that it's okay that you just get a job until you figure out what you want to do. We all know plenty of adults that don't know what the hell they want to do. And they're in our, you know, age group. I mean, hell, I, I, I wanted to dance. Wait, really? That's a joke. Okay. Well, you did not <laughs> smile. So I was like, hold up. Is this an exclusive... Did- didn't you make a comment earlier that you knew Todd so well and you haven't learned his uh, dry sense of humor? Come on now. So, sorry, I forgot I'm dealing with a bearded Jerry Seinfeld. 
Now, I, I do want to talk a little bit more about um, a life transparent. How has, or maybe you're not sure, but have you talked with fans that already read the first two when they first came out and then kind of compared them to newer fans of the first book that have had early copies? Have you had a chance to do that yet? Because I'm curious. No, what I haven't. I'd be curious what if there's any differences because this is an expanded and more uh, inclusive version with the other two. I mean, I I had the benefit of being able to see more of the big picture going back, so I was able to put some scenes uh, into the first two books. One, that kind of helped flesh out the characters more. Two, set things up for the final book. Um, for example, the last chapter. Uh, that chapter did not, does not exist in the older versions. Oh. Uh, same goes with the uh, second novel. Well, there's the last chapter that is not in the original version. Um, again, keep in mind... This wasn't supposed to be a series. It just turned out that way. Uh, so, no, I haven't had a chance to, you know, to talk to anyone who is familiar with the original versions. Uh, so I'm, I'm eager to s- see what they have to say uh, online and, you know, what they like and maybe what they dislike. Uh, I don't think a lot of them will be happy with the way the series ends, but it took a, took me a long time to figure this out, but I I wasn't writing this for them. Mm. I wrote it for me. So if they don't like it, that's too fucking bad. Yeah, no, that's real. That's really important. (laughs) Like, I mean, I've said this a few times, but, I felt this way in the way you just described, but when we talked to Joe R. Lansdale, I was just like, all right, this guy's been around since the 70s or 80s, I forget which. Uh, and he said, you know, pretty much fuck the reader at first because all right for me. And I'm like, that's why I should do it. Um, so for A Life Transparent, I like how you have an epilogue followed by a coda. I have not read that exact order before. Um, because I thought they were kind of like the same thing. And then your afterward. Oh, okay. <laughs> Pretty much. And then the afterward with who is uh, Donovan Candle. I thought was a, thought was a nice touch. Thank you. Uh, yeah, the, um, the afterward is going to be in every one. It, it's, it continues. It's not, you know, the same thing over and over. Mm. Uh, kind of gives a little history, gives a little rundown of what was going through my head at the time. And, uh, yeah, uh, it's, it's a personal book. It's, it's a very strange book. Like, and that's another reason why I ultimately decided to self publish it back in the days, because I knew there was no publisher in the world who would want this mishmash of genre uh, and it, it's, you know, it, it was an, again, it, it's the whole thing has been an experiment. Um, and it's, 
as it's gone on, it has gotten more horror focused. Uh, the third book, especially being that's going to be the one that people who are fans of devil's Creek will probably like that one the most. Hmm. Uh, if they're willing to come along for the ride, um, you know, the second book is kind of the, the slow burner. It's, there's a lot more world building going on in that one. It's the empire strikes back, I guess. Uh, so yeah, it's, um, it's kind of strange to have new readers read this thing. That's so old in my mind. And, you know, I had a couple of reviewers regretfully back out of reviewing it. Cause they're like, I don't like this. I don't I'm like, that's okay. I, you know, it's not for everybody. And at the same time, I've had some reviews that have been really positive. Um, it, it's, it's vastly different and I can just like, I, I'm, I'm ready to hear all the disappointment because I know people <laughs> are, are there look, I, I know people are going to be looking for devil's Creek part two. You know, they're looking for more of that extreme in your face, disgusting stuff. Now, trust me, there's some disgusting stuff coming up <laughs> just, uh, with this first one, this was, in my in a way, I think it's less an introduction to the character in the world and more an introduction into the writer who I was. Um, you know, I'll be totally vain about it. <laughs> it's you know, it's definitely you're looking at a glimpse into the past of where I started and you know where we're going. So you mentioned that, you know, book three is a lot more horror oriented and, and book one, you know, you described, at least I think I'm not putting words in your mouth as uh, science fiction and uh, slipstream, which you were generous enough to explain to my dumbass. Um, I don't know what, what that is. You, you, you want to explain it again? <laughs> Hold on. Let me look it up just so I have a proper definition it's basically what a lot of stephen graham jones's stuff uh was described as back in the 90s or not the 90s in the early 2000s uh, especially on like uh chuck polinick's website and the uh you know the um the forums there uh yeah it's basically kind of like a mishmash of different genre it's not something it, you know, that kind of, oh, here we go. It's kind of fantastic or non-realistic fiction that crosses conventional genre boundaries between science fiction, fantasy, and literary fiction. I think that'll about do it. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so, so for uh, 2006, Todd Kiesling, uh, a year out of, out of, out of his uh, English degree, um, now we, you know, think of you as a horror writer, but how did you go about uh, incorporating horror elements? Because they're certainly there. They may not be as upfront in Devil's Creek, but, you know, I'm thinking of the yawning and. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, the yawning's pretty terrifying. Uh, 
so it was there and you know but again it was more about the existential dread a, a little bit uh as i moved into the second novel it started to take a more cosmic feel uh there's definitely some cosmic elements at the end of the second book into the third book the third book it's all all of that's there um lost my train of thought damn you patrick <laughs> my add is not transferable to todd keesling sir oh it's okay i'm pretty sure i also have add so uh <laughs> I yeah saw a I just, sketch of the yawning i meant to bring that up and the one that you posted i forget when but it's really cool i like that thank you um yeah i was just doodling one day uh so Like, there wasn't, like, a, a conscious effort to, I'm going to make this more horror-like. It, you know, it was kind of just, I felt like when I sat down and really started fiddling with the plot of the final novel, I took out a lot of the stuff that was slow. I feel like the, the final book is on, you know, all cylinders from the get-go. Uh, it's way more violent, way more gory. Um, there's a lot more monsters, and there's some really fucked up things that come out of the monochrome in that one. Also, in the second book, though, uh, you get to find out where Cretans come from. Where'd you come up with that concept? And I, I think it's safe to describe them to entice potential readers. It doesn't really give any spoilers. Uh, so the Cretans came up as a necessity for explaining how, you know, I guess I should preface this. So basically for folks who haven't read the book, Donovan's disappearing and transitioning into uh, a parallel reality. He's starting to see things from this other reality bleeding into our, our regular reality. The thing is, is that no one else can see them furthermore no one else can notices that he's you know this is happening to him and what the cretans do is they're basically the things that make other people forget about you and it's how like the the danger for donovan is that he could if he transitions and flickers out completely he'll be forgotten and so the Cretans serve the purpose of filling that plot hole. <laughs> uh, Cretans are tiny white humanoid figures that, you know, they're many in number. And if I had to equate them to anything that people might know, it would be the uh, creatures from the Max. You remember that comic, The Max? MTV Oddities did a nobody really. Oh, no. Sorry, oh my no. god! Shame on you. Yeah, The Max. Uh, no. Yeah, The Max. So I think they're called Is in The Max. 
No, I'm Googling it. <laughs> Every time you type, no matter what podcast it is, it sounds like you're just like super mad at your keyboard. It's a mechanical keyboard. It's loud. Yeah, the is. How do you spell Small that? eyeless beings with egg-shaped bodies, arms, and legs about as large as house cats. Okay, mine aren't that big. Mine have eyes um, and mouths and teeth. Uh, so it doesn't look like... I actually creeps. have... I can find it. I'm looking on my shelves. Brennan, what would you do if you saw yawning just like, you know, in your house? Uh, I don't know. I haven't prepared for that. Uh, you're fucked. Yep. <laughs> my, wife made, fucked. my wife made a, uh, a plush version of a Cretan many years ago and I have it I just don't know where the hell it is right now uh, it would give you some idea uh, what they look like but uh, yeah that's that's what the Cretans are uh, the yawning are their older brothers and they stand about 8 or 9 feet tall and very gaunt figures but they can uh, dislocate their jaws and swallow a person whole and then, of course, there's Alistair Dullington, uh, who I have to mention this. This is where the Lost Highway connection comes in. Uh, Alistair Dullington looks the way he does uh, because of Robert Blake's character in Lost Highway. There's that whole scene where he's walking into the party where Bill Pullman is. And he, they start having that conversation with the phone about the phone. And... Uh, you know, he tells Bill, Bill Pullman, I'm in your house right now. Bill Pullman's like, you're fucking crazy. Robert Blake pulls out a cell phone, says, dial your number, call me. So he does. And then the same guy answers the phone. <laughs> and they start laughing in tandem. <laughs> it's creepy as hell. Uh I'll send you guys a link to the scene. I think Brennan probably knows what I'm talking about. Seems like uh, Patrick. I don't. Have you seen Lost Highway? No, I got the uh, soundtrack. Though. I got the CD. Oh, it's a great soundtrack. Uh, but uh, yeah, the scene is so creepy. I'll uh, I'll send that to you after we're done here. Sweet. Uh, yeah, that's kind of where Dullington's outward appearance comes from with the. The dark eyes and the, you know, the kind of bulging from his skull, no eyelids, um, really creepy looking dude. And uh, in my head, he sounds like Clancy Brown. Mm. Yeah, that's a good call. I like that. Thank you. So, Brent. all right. So, um, if if we take it for granted that Donovan is you, at least to a certain degree, <laughs> I wonder what did you what do you feel like you worked through, you know, writing this book or this series uh, over the last 15 years? That's a great question, man. Uh, I worked through kind of figuring out my place in the world. Um, and that's really what it was always about. It was about figuring out who I am, uh, 
figuring out what I should be doing or what I, you know, what I want to do. Um, and I feel like it's, it's kind of like every, every time I return to this, this story, it's like a little bit more of myself is coming to focus. And, you know, it, it, by the time I got to the third novel, it was like, okay, I had to do a little bit of soul searching and figure out, okay, you know, I'm, I was, I was 37 when I finished the manuscript, uh, last summer, I'll be 38 in a couple of months, you know, I'm way older than when I was when I started it and my priorities have changed and life has changed. I mean, as it's going to do inevitably and from the time you're college age to, you know, pushing 40 life inevitably changes. And for me, it was kind of looking back and finding that thread of, okay, in the first book I was here and trying to come to terms with my place in the world, come to terms with the real world in general where, you know, you're working a shit job just to afford to go to live. And, uh, you know, then life, life continues. It may improve. It may not. My case, fortunately it did improve, but at the same time I was also wrestling more and more with these demons of depression and anxiety that hadn't been given a name yet. Like I I wasn't really diagnosed with any of this stuff until I was, you know, halfway through my thirties. Um, and now that's put things in perspective and I look back and I, I, I've joked with my editor, Amelia about this series because I, I call it the depression trilogy because, you know, that's kind of where I, I've been working on these stories. Like uh, people in the past have taken a real positive message and that's, and I'm, I'm grateful for that. I'm happy that they have, but I don't look at these stories fondly. Um, they are dark reminders of who I was. And so I think in the third book, you're going to see Donovan has more. I feel like he's way more in focus this time around. He's more of come to grips and at peace with who he is. And he knows what he has to do. Uh, in a lot of ways, that was kind of my mindset too. Like I felt like, you know, 37, I've kind of, I can look at myself in the mirror and not wonder, you know, who the fuck are you? Um, you know, I know who the fuck I am now. I'm a motherfucking writer. Todd fucking Keeslin. <laughs> not the musician. No, not the bass player for Dystopia. <laughs> Don't fucking ask him. 
I'm pretty sure that's what we talked about the first time. So sorry, I didn't mean to be so no, silly after such it's fierce fine. Uh, comment. It's fine. Um, no, I kind of, I, I kind of love that ending though. If, if, if indeed you were done, just I know who the fuck I am. <laughs> yeah, it, it's. Is that how book three ends? No. <laughs> Brennan is gonna leave me eventually, so I'm just gonna be a dumbass for the remainder of our uh, partnership slash friendship. <laughs> Episode 100. See you later. Well, I mean, it, it, <laughs> get, and back to the the topic, though. I mean, it, it was uh, there's a lot of fear, you know, afraid of not living up to expectation, fear of not being a good husband, fear of not being able to provide for my family, fear of, you know, never accomplishing the things I want to accomplish, never taking that step, never taking that leap, never, you know, doing all these things that the whole series is about a guy dealing with fear. And, in in the context of the stories, I mean that fear is manifested. You know, it's you know these creatures are symbols. Um, yeah, and really, it's it's about a guy figuring out how not to be afraid anymore. And you know that personal connection there is me. You know. Not being afraid of my own shadow, not being afraid to talk to people, not being afraid to open up, not being afraid of failing, and not being afraid of being forgotten, which is so stupid. Uh, you know, all of those things were kind of worked out, Brennan. You know, I am an immensely stronger person now than I was at 23. You know what, though? I, I, I don't think um, having that fear of being forgotten is stupid, though. Um, if, it, you know, you, you need people or at least one person to care about you. And if that's, you know, if you are being forgotten, that means you don't you don't necessarily have that. Um, and like I said, whether it's a, whether it's a friend, whether it's a group of friend, whether it's a significant other, whether it's a child, doesn't matter, you know, um, having your legacy live on in some way, shape or form, if, even if it's just through others' memories, I think that's a completely valid, uh, n- not fear there, but va- you want to be validated in that sense. That's yeah. exactly uh, why we know who Lovecraft is. Yeah, he was a good writer. Towards the end of his life, he st- he saw one book published, and uh, he had some recognition. But come on, a guy from Providence in the <laughs> 20s, or 30s, rather. No, 20s? It was the 30s. 30s? Yeah, uh, he yeah. died in the 30s. Yeah. Um, who, who's going to remember him? He had one book out. If it wasn't for his friends. Well, hopefully I have someone a bit more competent uh, to carry on, you know, my legacy and keep my stuff in print than August Derleth. Who <laughs> <laughs> doesn't try to co-opt everything. <laughs> wait, wait, this is interesting. I don't know much about him. So, um, yeah, it, 
real quick aside, I mean, if you if you read up on it, basically, we have August Erleth to thank for keeping Lovecraft's fiction in print. But August himself uh, took it upon himself to write some things that, you know, took Lovecraft's mythos in a different direction, like taking Chambers, the Yellow King, and incorporating that and making him one of the uh, the elder beings. Yeah, that's that's not Lovecraft. Uh, the Lurker on the Threshold is a novel that Dareleth finished. Uh, from Lovecraft's notes, and it shows. Uh, yeah, I mean, there are many, 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 many scholars out there who can give you a much better uh, rundown of that sort of thing than I can. Uh, St. Joshi comes to mind. He's kind of yeah. like the guy. Yeah. Uh, you know, the guy about Lovecraft. I'm not going to go into topics above. Uh, his personality or character. I'm aware. Yeah. <laughs> Very but, aware. I mean, he has done a lot of work in that field. Yeah. Uh, so, yeah. So I just hope I have someone more competent than August Dareleth keeping my stuff in print. I would think uh, Ken, uh, Ken McKinley would be the guy, but yeah, I'm being serious too. That would be who I, I would go to. So let's move on. Brennan, do you have any final things for alt or a life transparent? Not a, not a question, but I, I just wanted to throw out that I, I loved the dedication. Um, I don't know if you want to spoil that, reveal it, say it, uh, but it's, 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 it touched me. So I'm glad I touched you. <laughs> Guys, this is uh, this is not the type of show to talk about that on air. So the dedication, the original dedication for Life Transparent was for Erica, and I changed the dedication to Erica. I would for you, and that's going to come back around. That's all I'm going to say about it. Oh. Hey, I got a question about that. I've never asked an author this because I never think to until now. Is there some unwritten rule where the dedication should say very little to whoever it's dedicated to? Ah, it doesn't have to. I mean, no. I mean, I've seen dedications that are fairly long. Okay. Uh, There's there's a dedication that was kind of made into a meme about like to dedicated, to, I forget who the author is. It was hilarious, but it, something like dedicated to the man who uh, told me to stop being too rowdy in the department store when I was out with my mother. <laughs> and it basically says, You're an asshole, sir. <laughs> it's pretty funny. That's fantastic. Uh, no, there's no, there's no rule. I mean, dedications, you know, that's, I mean, I'd say I wouldn't write like a fucking essay, <laughs> but dedication within reason can be as long as you need it to be. And uh, I will say about that dedication, if you are a Nine Inch Nails fan, I'm sure you will catch the reference in it. 
Now let's move on to one thing that we didn't talk about where, yeah, uh, Todd has a uh, finalist nomination. He's got a connection to a second one, uh, Arterial Bloom, an anthology that was edited by a um, friend of the show, Mercedes M. Yardley. He did the cover for that. How, how's it? I mean, that's pretty damn cool, man. How's yeah, that? Yeah, I, I was so happy to see that on there because it it had such a long, grueling uh, history that I am not going into. Ask Mercedes about it sometime. Uh, she she touched upon it. I don't know yeah, how much uh, avoid though. So it, that book, you know, had a. a a lot of drama behind the scenes and I stepped in to help out with it, to make it happen. Cause I, you know, I had had a story accepted for it uh, already. And, you know, a lot of people had their story, you know, a lot of talented people are in that book. And, you know, I wanted to make sure that the book stood out. So, uh, I partnered with Mercedes. She hired me to do the uh, the full design, and I, you know, I'm proud of it. I, I think it it stands out from a lot of the stuff that Crystal Lake has published, just in terms of appearance. Um, it doesn't look like anything else they've published. Uh, I'm really happy with the way it came together. Uh, so yeah, it's it's so fucking cool to see that on that list just because I I know the tribulations that went through to get here. And uh yeah, that's awesome. That's a good uh I know it's a, a big win for Mercedes too cuz she put everything into the, making that book. And she deserves it. Yeah, and not to imply anything on any of the other books there but mercedes uh she's such a delight she's she's such a a great human so it's yeah it's really cool seeing that i do know one thing before i actually ever talked to mercedes i forget where i read this but uh it was originally going to be part of the tales from the lake volume six or maybe seven yes as a pure spectator i like how it changed up um and it, the covers for that series they're neat, but I like the one that you did a lot more simply for the fact that it's uh it's just different as you said and it's really it, it's creepy. You know, it's a <laughs> it's a hole in her neck. Does she smoke cigarettes? I don't even know who that girl is. It's it's creepy and it's brutal, but at the same time it's also beautiful, you know, hence the you've got that contrast between this corpse that's cracked and falling apart and the flowers growing out of her Mm -hmm. and you see the little insects and everything. And it's, you know, such as life. How'd you create that? Was that like a Photoshop? Okay. Yeah. It looks like a real painting. Photoshop's a very versatile (laughs) program. (laughs) Yes, it is. I think it fits the the title of it too, because you know, arterial bloom is this artsy, beautiful title. Uh, until you think about it, you're like, oh, that's that's blood spraying everywhere. Ah, uh, that's horrifying. Um, yeah, it's like <laughs> I remember talking to Mercedes when she came up with that, and it's like it brought to mind the way blood kind of stains in fabric, 
and it just blossoms out, you know? So naturally I took that and did nothing with it. (laughs) Brennan, Brennan, make an awkward segue, sir. (laughs) All right. So, um, Let's let's talk about what you what you're working on now. Actually, you know, one more thing about uh, semi related to Life Transparent. We know that that one's coming out uh, March second. Yes. What's the release schedule look like, uh, even tentatively for the other two? Uh, second novel is pretty much done. Uh, all the layout work is done, and everything the cover is done. It's slated for June. I uh, don't have a specific date, but I'm hoping that we can get a pre-order, uh, a pre-order date uh, for that in March. And right now, uh, book three is with my editor. Um, I expect I'll be spending most of the summer working on edits um, for that one. And then that is slated for September. Most likely late September, I'm giving myself the, the month to do any finishing touches. But uh, And real quick before I get into what I'm working on now. So I, I assume, you know, Patrick, I know you liked it. Brandon, yeah. did you like it? Uh, did I like what? A Life Transparent. Oh, what? oh, I... Th- I don't know why I had Twitter on the mind. I thought you were like, do you like Twitter? I liked a certain confession, <laughs> confession, Todd. Do you like Twitter? <laughs> <laughs> did you see what I posted and like it? Uh, did I like a life transparent? I did. I did. I'm glad that makes oh. me happy. Oh, and Todd, actually, I don't think we mentioned it. I don't think you mentioned this. Yeah. You said it's different than devil's uh, Creek, but you told me that it's more philosophical. Um, Yeah. I, I mean, you. We covered why. Yeah. But just to reiterate that, not Devil's Creek. Yeah, it's a great book. This isn't. I like Devil's Creek more. Doesn't mean I didn't like. That's fine. I mean, dude, Devil's Creek. I, I said, I said that it's a book that's probably going to be beloved beyond your life and for decades to come. That's not. I wanted to say that about every book. Thank you. Uh. You know, like when I sent it to you guys way back when, uh, you know, I think I, I said to you, Brennan, you know, I'll apologize in advance <laughs> <laughs> just because, you know, I the in its history, the book has been so polarizing among readers. Some people absolutely have loved it. Others have completely hated it. So, you know, I'm pretty desensitized to it, but I always ask, you know, did you like it? Did you not? It's It's OK. Um, thank you for your honesty. I, I think that... my experience had to do with mindset too. I mean, we, we talked about it very briefly when you were on in June and, you know, of course you gave us the heads up even when you were sending it, like, this is not typical fair. You know, if I, if, if you sent it off and said, this is a Todd Kiesling book, you know, expect, expect that Devil's Creek sequel, then, then yeah, you know, I'm going to go into it with a certain mindset and, if I have expectations that aren't met, then that might affect my experience. But knowing it's going to lean a little bit more into the philosophical, a little bit more into science fiction um, and weirder elements, um, you know, I, I, I knew what I was, what I was in for. And I, I had, I thought it was a hell of a ride. 
Um, thank, and I am you. very excited to see where it goes next. Uh, there's, I certainly won't spoil anything, but there's some stuff at the end, you know, in the coda. I can see what you mean by it's going to get cosmic. Yeah. Yeah, I'm, I'm excited for uh, for you guys to see where it goes. I'm, I'm excited to read the next two, man. Um, so what am I working on now? Uh, currently, project that I can't talk about. Sorry. <laughs> okay. <laughs> uh, beyond that, I you know I just tweeted uh, earlier today that you know I've got about nine stories, about fifty five thousand words uh, for a new collection, and I'm hoping to write some new fiction specifically for that. Probably another twenty thousand words. Uh, that I'm hoping to start shopping around uh, by end of year. Uh, no title on that yet. Nothing that I've decided on f- formally. Um, also, I've got some uh, stories I'm, you know, invited to submit a few places, and uh, I should have a couple of things coming out in some anthologies. Uh, I'm just waiting for them to be announced first. Um, I, I can say that. Uh, a Life Transparent is being produced, uh, and the whole Monochrome trilogy is being produced in audio uh, by Fireside. Oh, nice. Uh, so I'm not sure if it will be, it's definitely not coming out next week. I'm not sure if it'll be done in March or not, but it's coming. Uh, that's another thing that people always ask me for is like, when can I get this in audio? And, you know, back in 2007, you, didn't have an easy way of doing that <laughs> without shelling out thousands and thousands of dollars. Yeah. You know what, man, audiobooks. uh, I mean, I've said so many times I lost count, but Brennan can outread me drunk and blind and I'll be completely sober. And, uh, I'm just a slow reader. I love what I read though, but I wish I could read more. So I found out that, you know, audiobooks are, very much so in my favor. So yeah, I'm a fan of those. Uh, I'm I'm very grateful for those. And yeah, the thing that I discovered too is books that don't have audio version, text to speech on my iPhone on my Kindle app. Uh, it is a poor man's version of an audio book. It lacks the nuance of uh, the nuance and pacing that a audio book would provide. Because <laughs> it goes, it just like re- it reads the title. And it reads uh, the dash or whatever, and then it jumps straight into the first word. And when it goes to the next page, it kind of has a weird halt. But it's helped me read a lot more books, and I digest it. Hey, so. whatever works, man. Yeah. Yeah, so, uh, hey, Brenny, you want to cover what are you reading now? Sure. So, switching it up, Brennan, what are you reading? I'm not the guest. Should I go first? Feels uh, rude. Yeah. <laughs> That's what I said. Right. Switch it up. Oh, okay. So uh I I just finished uh the new Stephen King book later. Um and pleasant you know, obviously the stuff that's come out in the last oh since Dreamcatcher has been hit or miss, but uh I liked it. I and and there is, you know, I 
I think some people, I certainly kind of consider this a spoiler, but there are some ties to an older novel in a fun way. Uh, and the only reason I'm even saying that is because if you look at the back cover, it not only tells you that, but it tells you <laughs> which novel. So if you want to be surprised, don't read the back cover before you read the book. But, uh, you know, now I have to. <laughs> <laughs> so, some people might see that as like a cheap trick. I really enjoyed it. I, you know, I I thought it was uh, definitely done tastefully enough that it didn't feel like just a ploy and you know does he really need to at this point it's he can write whatever the fuck he wants and people are going to read it anyway he doesn't need to uh you know revisit certain universes and characters and stuff but uh yeah it was it was fun and it's um it's out through hard case crime and um the the books he releases through them tend to be pretty good i know joyland um was one of my favorites, but I've heard I've heard other people say the same that they really enjoyed that among his. I liked books. Joyland. Rich Duncan yeah. of uh, Inkheist said, "I believe that's his favorite King book." You know, I own that. I gotta read that. I haven't read that yet. So the other thing I am reading is the one that got away. It's uh, volume three in Candisha Press's uh, all women horror anthologies. And I, I think I talked about this the last episode we did, but I'm just going to mention a couple really cool stories. Um, Don DeBrawl had in uh, had a story called Invasive Species, where she tackles that whole thing of people getting seeds from China in the mail. And I just, I, I don't know if you, if nice. you guys uh, hear <laughs> nice. that. I, I, don't, I yeah. never got any personally, but that's as soon as I started reading, I said that was completely like ripe for the picking. No pun intended. Um, Catherine McCarthy, who is, you know, went from being one of those newer voices in it that I kept seeing reappear to now somebody whose stories I look forward to. And she's got a uh, release coming out with Off Limits. She's got a story called The Lure that was just awesome. She's uh, also a Welsh writer, which sorry to interrupt, but got to point out, need more of those. I only know her and Tim Levin. Yep. So it'd be nice yeah. if, you know, well, whoever's... Small country, so I mean... <laughs> yeah, but there's going to be more than two. <laughs> Very true. Uh, Michelle, Renee, Michelle Renee Lane has a really cool story in it. She did uh, Invisible Chains last year. And Victim A. Mist has a uh, story that incorporates mythology, and I'm always there for that. Todd, how about you? Uh, I just finished up... Um the third volume of Gideon Falls. It's a graphic novel series that a friend of mine uh, got me hooked on. It's very Twin Peaks-like. I wouldn't even know where to begin to (laughs) say what it's about. Uh, Trust me. Look it up. Gideon Falls. If you like graphic novels, I think it's five volumes, so... I got to order the fourth volume. Um, but it's, it's amazing. It's, I haven't read a graphic novel that has captured my attention like this since preacher. Wow. So, uh, in the actual preacher comics, not that shitty AMC adaptation. Uh, also, <laughs> You guys are going to be really jealous. I started reading <clears throat> Malignant Summer by Tim Meyer. Oh, fuck you, Todd. <laughs> started reading that last night. Uh, 
How is it, man? God, I I'm, I am jealous. You should be. Because <laughs> your book was the first big Silver Shamrock book. Oh. And, and Tim's has to be the second, right? Tim's, oh, it, Tim's book uh, dwarfs mine. Uh, that book, he's, he put the... I'm reading the Kindle copy isn't uh, copy edited. So I don't think I'm sure this won't end up in the final manuscript, but he actually has like the word count at the start and it's like approximately 190,000 words. Jesus. So basically if you take devil's Creek and then you put a life transparent on top of it, (laughs) uh, and then maybe like a chat book, <laughs> and scale we'll have his book. Let's just get scaleized in there too, man. No. One hundred ninety thousand words. That must have taken him almost two weeks to write. Probably. <laughs> I mean, I feel like, I feel like the. I remember when he was working on it. I want to say it was twenty nineteen. Because I, I remember him talking about it. It scares the care, right? I, I'm I, unless I'm misremembering, but. It's like he mentioned that he was working on it, and then, well, this is done, and it's like 200,000 words. I'm like, fuck you, Tim. <laughs> you know what, man? One day, mark my goddamn words, I'll write a solo book by myself, okay? Not with Brennan, because me and him did 166,000 in eight months, but I don't know how I do that on my own. One day, I will have a book that... that comes close to you and Tim, man, because you two, you guys write monsters. <sighs> Just goddamn huge books. You know, Devil's Creek has ruined my reputation. Like, ever, like, I know, especially, like, Tim and Armand and that <laughs> crew. Those Jersey douchebags. Jersey, Jersey assholes. <laughs> uh, I'm a transparent, you know. I, I mean, I'm a tra- trans, what's the word? Uh, transplant. Transplant, yeah, I got a lot of weird words in my head. Um, yeah. I'm a transplant, so I'm not a real Jersey douchebag. I'm just a new New England douchebag. Those fucking Jersey guys are all like, you know, oh, Todd's writing a short story, so it's going to be like 100,000 words. <laughs> <laughs> Is that such a bad thing, though? No, but it's like, come on, guys. Yeah. I mean, Although I guess I'm I'm due for it, considering all the uh, bag of dick jokes I made to Armand over the years. Yeah. Uh, He's probably had coming him and shot. Well, I mean, do you guys know the story <laughs> behind that? Uh, probably not. Uh, so I years ago, I asked Armand if I could get onto his podcast, and he like emails and says, "Fuck you." Yeah, sure, man. <laughs> <laughs> so I wrote back, and I'm like, "Eat a bag of dicks." Cool. What time? And so the first beers and fears, um, I went to. Uh, the uh, you know the brewery, one of the breweries in Jersey, and met those guys, and I brought Armand an actual bag of gun, <laughs> and he still has them, or he did the last time I talked to him, and uh, they like sit on one of his shelves. <laughs> Ask him about it if you ever have him on. Uh, oh, I, I already had him on. It was before Brennan and I uh, became a thing. Okay. Yeah, uh, next time you, you talk to Armand, tell him to eat a bag of dicks. <laughs> I um, I was gonna I was gonna go to my first 
few cons last year, and that that was one of them to me. I put J.C. Walsh, uh, Chuck, Armand, Frank, yeah. Tim. Uh, that was probably you. Yeah, I was gonna go. I mean, I, I always try to go, um, whether I'm part of it or not, uh, just because you know they're my friends. And I want to hang out with them. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I'm hoping beyond hope the vaccines get rolled out at a better rate so that we can actually do some con stuff around the end of the summer. That would be wonderful. <sighs> so Patrick, what are you reading? Oh, okay. So I am reading a, uh, well, I just got this. <laughs> <laughs> Nobody so. else was going to ask. So <laughs> <laughs> I'm reading a book called at the end of the world turn left is by uh apologize if i mess up her name zana slor it is um through agora they uh hold up i gotta pull something up they publish um crime mystery suspense and a quick shout out to Chantel amy osmond who is uh, the one who hooked me up with that book. So thank you to her. Um, and the other book, well, I'm actually f- halfway through Irish Gothic by Ronald Kelly. That's fun. I mean, it's it's Irish, Irish mythology. Uh, it's beyond banshees and, you know, vampires and werewolves. So it's really, it's enjoyable. And then uh, I'm reading his magnum opus, Fair, which for those that are interested in listening to our other show on burying the dead episode three which is april 1st is gonna be surrounding uh, that book and it'll be the first episode where we have a surprise guest uh, who will that be it's someone in the community that many of you should know it's a reviewer who is he or she or they well find out we'll announce it soon enough brennan uh, Bre- <laughs> brennan take us away yeah, i'm getting all tongue-tied so, I mean, before we, bef- in case we don't talk to you again, Todd, uh, we're both wishing you the absolute best of luck uh, for the Stokers. Um, yeah. Kick those traditionally published books' asses. Thank you. Um, I'm uh, keeping my fingers and toes crossed. Hey, hey, I'm not going to name him because honestly, I forgot. But for that reviewer that had a few words about your book, fuck that guy. Sorry, Todd. Just got to put it out there. It's a fucking Stoker finalist you douche <laughs> <laughs> now he's allowed to have an opinion you know yes. Patrick. yeah but but i got an opinion he doesn't about have to be a opinion. dick about it <laughs> <laughs> yeah sorry I, I you know it's fine to review books but you don't have to be an asshole about it and just yeah. like make someone feel like shit yeah so that's how we end the episode all right bye all right, thank you <laughs> <laughs> thank you for defending my honor Anything for you. You're a fucking writer just like me. <laughs> this is where you play The Glory of Love by Peter Cetera. Or by uh, Newfound Glory. They do an excellent cover of that. It's not bad. <laughs> <laughs> so, where can people follow you, Todd? You can follow me on Twitter at Todd underscore Keesling. Uh, I'm also on Instagram at Todd Keesling. Patreon dot com slash Todd Kiesling, all one word, and toddkiesling.com. Yes, I get tired of saying my name over and over. Any final thoughts there, Brennan? No. <laughs> Any final thoughts there, Todd? Uh, be sure to drink your Ovaltine.
And uh, I really got nothing. I hope everyone enjoyed this. As I said today, I'm Bearing the Dead Episode 2 comes out. Check that out. We'd certainly appreciate it. And have a good one. Deadhead space. Okay, so Brennan's screen went transparent. Oh. It's grayish. And I was like, of yeah. course. Of oh, course. shit, I didn't even make that connection. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's fucked up. <laughs> Fucking Todd. <laughs> you know, it's, it's really funny you mentioned that because uh, many, many years ago, uh, when the a second novel, uh, the sequel to Life Transparent was originally published, uh, a couple of friends of mine uh, drove to a book signing I was doing in my hometown. Uh, they drove from Nashville, and that's about a three-hour drive. And their GPS went really weird on the way there. And it was just showing a gray screen with their car <laughs> in the middle. <laughs> I got blamed for that, too. Yeah, that's, that's fantastic. <laughs> I yeah. said I don't believe in coincidences. No way that's a coincidence.